Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Uh, we're going to continue from where we were last week in Luke chapter number one. And thank you, Chris, for reading that verse. I'm actually going to quote it a little bit later here in a few moments. Uh, but we're going to continue in Luke chapter two this morning. Now, last night, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go and be a part of the Lionsgate Baptist Church Christmas party last night. And I mean, it was a happening party. That's all I got to say. You know, Baptist church parties are usually pretty, pretty lit, right? And, uh, and uh, we were there and it was, a, I mean, it was a great time together. And, and there's a good group of people over in North Vancouver. And, and uh, one of the things that they were doing is that they were having a white elephant gift exchange. And so if you are familiar with that, in fact, this Wednesday night our, at our church Christmas party, guess what we're doing? We're doing a white elephant gift exchange. If you need to know what that is, Google white elephant uh, and then put gift exchange. Otherwise, they'll show you like this rare albino elephant that was out there. But uh, search that up and you'll find it. And, uh, and then basically uh, what you do is everyone brings a gift. And, and what they had us do is there was a Christmas tree there in the uh, in the room where we were meeting, and they said, everybody put your gifts under the tree there, and there was this big pile of gifts, you know, there was quite a few people there, and, um, and, and, so, and so they said, pile your gifts, and then when the time came for the gift exchange, here's what they said. They said, everybody go and get a gift from under the tree. They said, don't get your own, don't get the one that you brought, just go and grab any gift that you can. And so obviously I sprinted over to the tree, right? I just ran over there. I'm joking. A lot of other people got there before me and there's this crowd and I'm kind of like, you know, standing back and I'm watching. And there was something that I noticed that was so interesting. Besides the fact that I really wanted to pick out this certain one that someone else took. There was something I noticed while I was watching everyone there. And you know what it was? Almost everybody went and grabbed the biggest gift that they could find. And that was really interesting. I mean, these are adults, right? <laughs> these are adults. And they went and they're grabbing the biggest packages they could find. So by the time I got there, there was just a few smaller ones, you know, and I was okay with that. But they had these big gifts and they're taking the big gifts and they're walking out with these big boxes and everything. And it struck me, it's so interesting that even uh, when you get into your adult years, that we, uh, we attribute value as far as the gift is concerned to how big the box is. Have you ever noticed that? Now, as a kid, of course, we understand that. I mean, as a kid, uh, when you see that big box under the Christmas tree, you're just like, oh man, it's gotta be something amazing, right? I remember a uh, year, well, yes, definitely years ago when I was a little kid, I was probably eight or nine years old under the Christmas tree one morning when I came up, uh, this wasn't Christmas morning, but it was earlier on, there was a huge box under the tree. And of course, like every gift that would appear, I would go to it and I would look to see whose name was on it. Because my parents would always write the name on it. I didn't believe in Santa Claus, so I knew who it came from. And they would, write, uh, they would write the name of whose gift it was. And this one said Paul on it. And I was just like, this is my gift. I mean, it was big. It was big. I, don't, I was eight, so I was smaller than I am now, but it was a big gift. And for the next like two weeks, I was just like, what? is in that box. It's gotta be something awesome, right? Cause it's a big box. And I was like, maybe it's a Nintendo. Cause that was a big deal. I'm talking like original Nintendo. I mean, maybe it's a Nintendo and I thought of all the games and it's probably got Duck Hunt in there and it's probably got the gun. It's probably got everything in there that I want. Or maybe it's a Sega Genesis, which wasn't quite as cool as a Nintendo, but at least I knew there were some games that I could play and that I would enjoy. I thought maybe it's rollerblades. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, I, I had all these ideas of what it could have been. Rollerblades, those are my top three, by the way, Sega Genesis, Nintendo and rollerblades blades. If it was those things, and I thought for sure, I didn't want to shake it in case it was, you know, in case I broke it, I want to be very careful with it. 
And finally, Christmas Day came, and I even waited. You would have been so impressed. I waited to open it last, because I was like, this is the big present, you know? This is, I gotta let the buildup happen. I opened all my other presents, and then finally, I get to this big box, and I'm just like, I, oh, I just remember how good I felt. This is, this is it. This is my year. I'm eight. This is my year, you know? And finally, everything is working out together for my good. Thank you, Jesus, right? And we've got all of that. And so then, guess what I did? So then I opened that box, and then I tore that wrapping paper off, and I got in there, and do you know what I discovered? A very dedicated family member, I'll just say, <laughs> decided that it would just make sense to put all of my socks and underwear and pajamas that I needed so desperately into one big box just to make it easier, right? Oh, man, I was crushed. <laughs> I was crushed because this was the year. I mean, this was the big gift. And it was a lot of socks and a lot of underwear. Apparently, I had a problem, so I needed some of those. Now, over the years, as the older I've gotten, I've actually come to realize that sometimes the best things are in small packages. Sometimes an envelope's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Uh, okay, all right, okay, all right. Especially if it's around, what, the Lunar New Year and it's red, right? I mean, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing. And it's funny, though, at, at just the way that we look at things, though, we often view the big and the colorful and the things that we imagine to be the best things, when in fact, sometimes the best things in life are simply small, simply small. You know, the humble presentation of Jesus Christ to this world was not exactly what we would have planned, is it? Him arriving in a manger to a young couple with no pomp and no circumstances, probably not the way that we would have necessarily if we were the ones in charge of planning the arrival of the Messiah. Yet that's what we see in Scripture. We see Jesus coming in a humble way. And honestly, to the Jews, we definitely know they felt deceived by that. I know when I opened that present, I felt a little bit deceived, just so you know. I didn't say I was mad and threw it or anything, but I, was, I felt a little deceived because I thought this was going to be something amazing. And to the Jews, they felt a little deceived because they thought the Messiah was going to come in this extravagant way as this conquering king. But yet, God came in such a basic and such a simple manner as a baby being born in Bethlehem. But as Christians, here's the thing. To us, we look at it and we don't say, wow, this is this incredible thing. We recognize for what it is because we realize that all of the details in the Christmas story, the arrival of Jesus Christ, have prophetic and spiritual significance to the person who's a student of the Word of God. And we recognize that. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to look at seven verses that describe for us the arrival of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, it's like that present. It's not like it's incredible. I got to tell you, it's pretty basic. It's a pretty basic story. But what is happening in this small situation, in this seemingly insignificant story, is something that is just so incredible that God did to radically transform and change the lives I know of myself and of many of you here today. So let's go to Luke chapter number two together, verses one through seven. And I want to go ahead and just read the whole passage, and then we'll come back and look at a few thoughts from these verses here. It says in verse number one, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, last week in Luke chapter 1, we saw the unexpected and spectacular announcement of the gift. Today, we're going to look at just simply the details surrounding the long-awaited arrival of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as we look at these details here in the verses that I just read for you, I want us to see point number one this morning. I want you to see God's will at work. I want you to see here in this passage, God's will at work. Look with me again at verse number one through three. It talks about that in those days there was a decree from Caesar Augustus, and the decree was that all the world should be taxed. It describes who was governor of Syria at the time, and it tells us that every person went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now, the chapter begins here with this historical account of Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman territories, and how he sent out a decree, an imperial order really is what it would be called, to all of the world, and in this case, every man would have to come and give a history report of their family. They would have to check in where they were born, and they would also have to give an account of their income, their holdings, and it should be then recorded, and then ultimately it would be taxed. Now, the census that we see here, it's called a taxing, it could also be described as a census or a registration, was something that was not just a random thing. In the Roman Empire, it was something that was cyclical. Every 14 years or so, they would have one of these things, and it covered all of the Roman Empire. And here's an image of the Roman Empire and what it covered at that moment uh, that we're reading uh, right here. And so it went out, and every 14 years, they would have this. But this one was very unique because this was the first time that Palestine, Israel itself included, this is the first time that they were included in this census or in this uh, registration because typically Israel had been exempt from it because Israeli men were not required to serve in the Roman army at this time. And so they were not required to do this, but this was a special one. This was unique that they would uh, include Israel as well. And so, but for the Jews, you have to recognize this was a distasteful symbol of Roman oppression and of their occupation, that they would come and tell them where to go and tell them to go and mark their name off and tell them what their property holdings were, what kind of income they have, and then ultimately be taxed. I mean, it was an insult to them. It was a reminder that they were not free people. It was a reminder that they were still under occupation of Rome at the time. And it came, though, this decree came from Caesar Augustus. So who was Caesar Augustus? Well, he was really, most people consider to be the founder of the Roman Empire. He ruled from 27 BC all the way to AD 14. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background history on him. It just kind of helps us to understand uh, the impact of what was happening here. So uh, he was born Agaius Octavus into a very wealthy family. His maternal uh, great uncle was Julius Caesar. So now you're starting to remember your history lessons from high school. So Julius Caesar was his great uncle, and when he was assassinated, Caesar actually named Octavius as his successor uh, to the empire and to everything that he had. And so that's when he began to step into a position of power. Later on, uh, together with Mark Anthony and Marcus Lepidus, he defeated the, those that had assassinated Caesar. And following a great victory in the city of Philippi, which we're familiar with from the New Testament, he and his political uh, uh, friends, you could say at the time, of course, I don't know how many friends there were in the Roman Empire, uh, but those he considered to be his friends, they divided the Roman Republic about, among themselves and they ruled as dictators. It was in 29 BC that the Roman Senate declared him 
as Rome's first emperor. And later on, two years later, they gave him the title of Augustus, which means exalted one. Now, if you guys remember back to our study in the book of Acts, many of the people in those Roman territories uh, were required, and Christians, in fact, were required as well, as well, to proclaim not only Caesar as Lord, but you were to proclaim him as your Lord in almost a divinity sense as well. And this title of Augustus is what they gave to him in order to kind of put him at that godlike status. Now, the reason I tell all of that to you is because it, under, it helps us to understand that when he says all of the world should be taxed, all of the world should be registered, this was not a statement of ignorance. Obviously, he was not taxing the entire world, but to him, Rome was everything. Rome was the world. Nothing else mattered except for the Roman Empire. And this guy was in such a place that he felt that it was his right to go out and to take a registration of every single subject within the Roman Empire. Augustus was an incredible, incredible guy. Now, he, he accomplished a lot of things. However, to those in occupied Israel, to those like Joseph and Mary, who had a baby on the way, this is a rather inconvenient moment. <laughs> This is a rather difficult thing. It would have been really difficult. This decree could not have come at a better time. And you have to understand for them who are waiting now, the coming son of God, it would have been almost counterproductive to him being born. But what I want us to, to understand, and the reason I'm sharing all of this with you is that I want you to understand is that whenever circumstances seem like they're completely out of our control or they seem completely inconvenient, God is still working and God is still in control of the whole situation. And that's what I want us to see here. Nothing takes God by surprise. You know, it's so interesting as you study scripture, and I'm going to mention a few things here in a moment, but you see that the Bible is so full of different situations, situations that are inconvenient, situations that are difficult, situations that are full of suffering, yet God often uses the challenges of life to work things out for his glory and to help reveal his will. I mean, think about when Joseph was sold into slavery. That's an inconvenient situation. We've been studying that in our midweek Bible studies together. And Joseph being sold into slavery and everything that happened from there, yet we see God use that to save his people, in fact, from starvation years down the road. But in the moment, it seemed rather inconvenient. Think about Daniel as he was thrown into the lion's den. And it seemed like this was the end of all things. And yet God res rescued him from that miraculously and used Daniel to do amazing things for the Lord. Think about David as he arrived at the battle there. He was just there to bring some meat and cheese for his brothers. And then he ends up fighting Goliath, the giant. And, and it seemed rather inconvenient. Dude, I just came here to bring some food to my brothers. That's all I wanted to do. And now you're telling me that I'm going to go out and God is leading me to go out and fight this giant who's defying the armies of Israel. That seemed rather inconvenient, yet God used David in an incredible way for his glory. And so what I'm trying to say is that there are so many situations in scripture and there's a lot of times in your own life where it seems like what is happening right now? Why am I going through this? Why is this difficulty surrounding me? Why is, is it so hard at the time? But I want, to, want you to know that God has maybe put you in that situation to grow your faith, to teach you something about himself. And ultimately, God uses difficult situations to reveal his glory. I want you to know today that anything out of our control is still in the hand of God. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this one truth. If it is out of your control then it is still in God's hand. You might be in a situation right now that seems counterproductive to what you're trying to do. You're like, hey, I've got plans. I've got things I want to see happen. 
and loss and difficulty and trial come your way, sickness, unexpected things that you just were not planning on come your way, I want you to know that if it's out of your control, then it's in the hand of God, and there's no better place for it to be. See, because of a decree from a Roman emperor, Mary and Joseph are put in a place that they would have never otherwise been, but God is doing something behind the scenes. And I want you to see God's plan unfold. See, God's will is at work, but next we see here a promised destination. God's will is at work here, but now his plan unfolds with a promised destination. Look at verse number three through five. It says, And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called, say it with me, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That means he came from the line of David. To be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child. It's exciting to see how God has taken this situation seemingly unrelated to the birth of Jesus Christ, but now we see this turning into a situation for God's good and for his glory and actually for the good of Mary and Joseph as well. Remember, Caesar Augustus, he tempted to make himself God. He wanted to be above everybody else. He says, hey, I want you to tell and tax uh, and find out who is out there, who is, in my, uh, who is in my empire here. And so he signed this decree that caused a man and a woman, a woman greatly pregnant, to make this journey to Nazareth. This journey was not an easy journey. It was 120 kilometers over uh, difficult terrain. And they had to make this while she was obviously, as we understand, great with child. If you're unsure what that means, I mean, she had a huge belly. Like she was great with child. It was almost time uh, for her to have this baby. And they had to go all this way to the city of Bethlehem for this taxing. Now you might be thinking, why Bethlehem? Why was it that they had to go to Bethlehem? Well, genealogical, uh, genealogical records of families in Judah were traditionally he uh, held and kept in their ancestral towns. And this was just something that was very common. And so Rome's way of making sure that they could find everybody they needed to find was that they decreed you had to go to your ancestral home where all of those records were kept. And so you would go there and there would be Romans there who had the Jewish records and then they could verify you, who you were, where you are now, and all of these holdings and everything that you had. Basically, they did it this way because then no one could avoid them. It's kind of like the CRA, right? Man, they call me every week. Apparently, I'm very fraudulent. I don't know. I get calls every week. And I dial them back right away, and they always take my credit card info, but then nothing happens. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm joking. Don't call them back. <laughs> but they know how to find us, don't they? And that's why they did this. They, they wanted to find their people. But again, I remind us that Caesar Augustus is just a tool in the hand of our Heavenly Father. God is using this entire thing to fulfill a prophecy that was given Hundreds of year, years before by the prophet Micah where he said this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. John later on quoted this same prophecy in John 7, 42, where he says, Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? The turn of events here seems like a major inconvenience. But it was God bringing Mary and Joseph specifically to this small town of Bethlehem at exactly the right time so that the Messiah could be born where uh, the prophecy was given hundreds and hundreds, uh, some believe close to 700 years before this, was even, uh, this even happened. 
Now, this reminds me of James in the New Testament when he was speaking to uh, the believers. He was talking to Christians there in Jerusalem about uh, the fact that the gospel was going to the Gentiles. And he was talking about that, and he said this to him in Acts 15, 18. He says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Now, think about that for a moment. God knows before the beginning of the world, he knows and he has a full understanding of all of his works, of everything that he's going to do. We operate in such a linear mindset. And we think like, does God know what's going to happen tomorrow? Does God know what's going to happen now? Does God? Yes, is the answer. God knows before the foundation of the world. He knows all of these things that are to come to pass. And God was working here in this young family. He was aware of what was going on. And I want to tell you today, if God is aware of what was happening in Mary and Joseph's life, God is also very aware of what's happening in your life as well. And that's something we just need to take heart in today. The fact that God knows about you. As important as the path of Mary and Joseph was, I think we need to understand that your path is also important to God. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we look at these characters and we think like, man, I'm just, I'm nothing compared to this. I, you know, I, I don't think God really values me as much as he would value someone like Mary or Joseph. But I want to tell you, God does value you. I mean, God talks about the value of a, a fallen bird. He talks about the value uh, of, uh, and his understanding of the flowers. And yet he values you so much more than that. And God does care, and he does know what you're going through right now. He knows the difficulty. He knows the sorrow in your heart. He knows the victories that you're facing. And he wants to walk alongside of you through that. And he's working out something for your good and for his glory. See, Mary and Joseph were just simply following what was happening in their world. And yet God was doing something. I was thinking about it. I, I like to often just sit and think sometimes through the passage. And I was trying to imagine the journey as they went, and maybe what they would have said to one another. And I wonder if Joseph quoted maybe, or maybe Mary quoted it, probably. She seems more spiritual to me. Maybe Mary uh, was the one who quoted what Solomon said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when she reminded Joseph when he was maybe frustrated and upset and like, I can't believe we're doing this right now. I mean, you're about to ready to pop. We're about to have a baby here. We shouldn't be journeying. And she says to him, remember, remember what Solomon said, that we should trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And Joseph, we shouldn't lean to our own understanding. Joseph, I think that in all our ways, we should acknowledge God. And remember, he's going to direct our paths. And God has us on a journey. God has us on a path. And we can trust him. And I want you to know that God knows your journey right now. He knows what you're facing. He knows. He knows. And he cares about you. And he cares about you. God's will is at work here. And it's leading them to a promised destination. But I want us to see, lastly, it ultimately ended with the supernatural arrival. Okay, here we go. This is where it all comes down. Look at verse number six and seven. It says, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. That means it's time to have the baby. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I don't know if it was the stress of the trip, the financial burden of the unknown tax on their family, or the difficulty of the ride on a donkey for 120 kilometers. I imagine that's probably what it was. Personally, I've never been pregnant, and so I understand that uh, how difficult it is, but I've been around Jeanette through all of her pregnancies, and uh, man, it's tough. I recognize that. And maybe the stress of that, whatever it was, uh, we know that it was the time, so it was, it, was, it was time to happen. But finally, it's like, all right, we are going to have... <laughs> this baby. I wonder what went through Joseph's mind when Mary said, I think it's time. Now, if you've never been in that situation, uh, 
Chris is laughing because he's never been in that situation. But when you're in that situation, man, it's, it's a bit of a shock. I remember for our first, uh, I, was, uh, I, I was asleep. And uh, there was a knock on the door, and my dad said, Paul, it's time. You say, well, why was your dad knocking on your door and saying that it's time? Well, we were at camp, and uh, I was in a cabin with, I think, eight 12-year-old kids. I was their counselor, and I'm sound asleep there, and Jeanette was in a staff cabin because she couldn't even walk across the field or waddle across the field. She couldn't get across it. And uh, he knocked on my door at like five in the morning and my heart about came out of my chest as I just sat up and I was like, it's happening, you know? And I went running. I just threw on my clothes. I'm all dizzy and I ran, you know, to where she was. And I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, oh yeah, it's, it's happening. It's time. And we got uh, in our car and we had to cross the border. We were in the U.S. We had to cross the border and drive all the way to Langley. And the whole time I'm just thinking about people giving birth in cars on the side of the highway. You know, you hear these stories and I'm like, I do not want to have to do do this. I do not want to have to do this. I can't handle it. I'd probably pass out. And I almost did pass out anyway. Uh, but we finally got there and we had the baby and, and all of that good stuff. But I remember the panic in my heart. And I can imagine that's what was going through Joseph's mind, especially in the fact that they were now in Bethlehem for the census. And they weren't the only ones that would have been there. There would have been many, many people. And we recognize that because when they go to the inn, they don't have any room. It was full. There was no place for them to be. And I'm sure as Joseph began to explain the situation, maybe he grabbed the innkeeper by his shirt, I don't know, and said, you don't understand. It's happening, man. Like, it's coming. You know, as a new father, it's a terrifying experience. And you have this renewed strength. <laughs> and you're like, it's happening. It's happening. And finally, he says, I can't do anything for you. And then somehow this shred of humanity maybe comes through him. And he remembers, okay, really all I can offer you is this stable out back. At least you'd be out of uh, maybe the rain, you'd be in this, this place. And he mentions it here. And that's where they go. They go to this dirty, unsanitary, more than likely overflowing with animals, right? It's full. Everybody's got their donkey, right? Everybody's got their animals with them. Probably uncomfortably crammed. Might have even been some other people in there. And it's all that they had. And that's where our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born, in a stable. You know, we have this idea of this just lovely, like, you know, single star shining over this beautiful, clean straw stable, and this nice little, you know, nativity scene, and everybody's sort of like, yes, this is amazing. Uh, obviously, you've never been in a birthing room, <laughs> you know. It's an intense situation. And to add to that, all of the other difficulties that were there, but as it said in verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. You know what? God blesses, he's going to protect and he's going to provide. And she wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger. I want you to notice that our Lord, God's son, was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Essentially what swaddling clothes were strips of cloth. I don't know where she got these from. I don't know if it was uh, Joseph's tunic <laughs> she ripped into pieces. I don't know. But they wrapped him up in these uh, these clothes to kind of bundle the baby together, I'm sure maybe to keep him warm as well, just freshly born. I think it's notable, of course, that just 33 years later, his body was also wrapped and laid in a cave, his tomb. You see, even from his birth, we were reminded of the fact that Jesus came for the specific purpose of dying for our sins. He was born in the stable of an inn, indicating that what he came to do into this world was just to sojourn just for a time. He was just here for a little while. 
He already was teaching us that life, that his life and our life as well is just something that is temporary. This world is not our final home. As we've been studying in 1 Peter, we are just strangers and sojourners here, strangers and pilgrims in this world. And Jesus Christ, God's son, the savior of the world, the one that you and I have placed our faith and trust in, was born in the lowliest of situations to insignificant, unpopular nobodies in a, in a podunk suburb of Jerusalem. Now, isn't that just like our God, though? Doesn't that just fit the narrative of Scripture, where he uses the unseemly to do his will? You know, today you might find yourself in a situation like Mary and Joseph. You might find yourself where your circumstances and control are out of your hands. I want to remind all of us again this morning what I said earlier on is that anything that is out of our control is in the hand of God. You might be wondering right now, what and why is life happening to me in this way? I want to encourage you with the fact that God often moves in mysterious ways. And he might be working behind the scenes in this situation that you're going through right now to do something and radically even transform you in a unique way. The question is, is are you trusting him through the difficulties? Are you walking with him by faith? I think sometimes we live our life like the innkeeper. I think sometimes as Christians even, we live our life like the innkeeper where we really don't have room for Jesus. We really don't allow him to come into our lives and, and to work. And, and frankly, I'm concerned sometimes that, that sometimes we get so busy. We get so busy trying to work and build and buy and experience in every way possible that we don't recognize that God is trying to take a place up in our life as well. And we live our lives without giving God any room at all because we're so focused on ourselves and not the work that God wants to do through us. I wanna encourage you today, don't shut out the Lord. He's the answer to what you have been seeking. See, the story of the gift that we're talking about, the arrival of the gift Jesus Christ, is a very special one. It is a picture to us of how when people would surrender to the will of God, we can expect him to just show up. And that's what I want you to recognize. When you surrender yourself to God, he will show up in your life. He will work through you. But we must surrender. We must remember how Mary and Joseph, when they were given the message from the angel, responded with faith. You know, Joseph in Matthew 1.24, when he was raised from sleep, notice what it says there, that he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And took unto him his wife. What does that mean? That means what the angel told him to do, he did it. He did it. He followed through with what God wanted him to do. And then, of course, as we read in, um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary said, as Christian read earlier, be it unto me according to thy word. What is it that's happening here? They both willingly surrendered to God. And they said, God, whatever it is that you want to do through me, I'm willing to let it happen. And that's the call for us today. Listen, you might be in a situation that is out of your control. Well, it's also in the hand of God. So what do we do in that, in that situation? How do we take that next step forward? The step is always surrender. It's placing ourselves under the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Prince of peace. And we put ourselves under his authority and we just simply step back and say, God, whatever it is that you wanna do, I'm going to trust you. We willingly remove from our own lives all of the things that we're pursuing, all of the things that we're going after, and we say, God, I want to go to you and you alone. Lord, you are worthy of it all, as we sang earlier. And we trust him and him alone. My challenge for us today is that we would have the spirit of Mary and Joseph. That we would be people who are just willing to surrender to God's will, 
And when his will is revealed to us, that we would trust his leading. Sometimes God puts us in situations and allows situations that we don't understand, but he is still at work. He's still at work. And that's what we learn from this story of the arrival of the gift, is that God is working. So I wonder, what is he doing in your life right now? What situation are you in that you're like, this is out of my control? And you're, maybe you're even like that. I, I don't know, God, what you're trying to do. I want to challenge you to simply step back and see what God can do through you in that moment. But it takes surrender. It takes a heart of surrender. That's the hard part, by the way. <laughs> That's the hard part. Humility, surrender, and saying, God, be it unto me, as Mary said. As Joseph, he got up and he went and he did what God said. But it takes us being surrendered people. And you know what? I want to tell you something, church family. If we would be people who are surrendered, imagine a church family that is completely surrendered to the will of God together. That in our homes, in our workplaces, in our school, we're surrendered to God. Imagine the unity and the heart that comes together in the local church body as we are all surrendered, all of us individually surrendered to God. And then what God can do with a group of people that are surrendered to him. I mean, it's just, it's unimaginable what God can do, but it takes surrender and recognizing that God is at work. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver. Uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.